0: Welcome back to another episode of Inking of Immunity. This is part two of our interview with Maya C Look. So if you didn't hear part one, go back and check that out. Also, this episode contains discussions of sexual assault, so it may not be appropriate for all listeners.
1: So, at the expense of sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to sort of slowly walk up to it because I'm trying to appreciate the context for the tattooing work that you do, but I mean, we were doing a tattooing podcast, so let me, let me get this where So, in, in that context, in your exploration of Inuit tattooing then, I mean, how does that begin if there is no collective memory? What's your process been? What's, what's that been like for you?
2: Well, yeah. All this with the white folk that was just one step wasn't it yeah. um, so <laughs> i i mean logically as people do i started by looking for patterns i looked all the obvious places and then i started looking the less obvious places uh, so first it was the visual stuff what is painted what is drawn what is photographed what is carved and cut and 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 Then I went into what is described without illustrations. Then I went into what is in the language. I've gone through dictionaries uh, in in the different dialects and trying to find uh, uh, patterns uh, by name, uh, you know. A majority of the patterns that I have found do have visual, uh, like there there are photographs or they, they are drawn or printed or carved. But I, I have found quite a bit from oral tradition, descriptions in our old tradition, and I have found also in dictionaries and like like names in children's songs. So I had to go like quite deep. Uh, 80% of the patterns are for the face. Then we have uh, a division of the tattoo styles that took me a while to figure out as well. The division being head is one thing and body is another. Uh, but that also is something that I linguistically had to be told uh, by, by our, the, the language of our ancestors, you know. And uh, well, the first thing I figured out and that I had not seen written down anywhere before I said it out loud myself, was mm-hmm. these are only women. This is a female practice. And then you just realize you have to figure out why. And that's where the religion came in. I started seeing that this is a, um, a spiritual practice for Inuit women. And then I had to figure out why is that. And the only way to get to know the spiritual practice is by reading the myths. And we have a little over 2000 myths in Greenland alone. Uh, some of them we share with the rest of the Inuit territories, but uh, a lot of them are local. So it's just a, a, a lot of reading and a lot of uh, looking at patterns, placing patterns on maps, letting go of the Canadian way of dividing provinces for instance, and and you suddenly see that one circle of pattern types is in two provinces. I started to see a connection between the the different tribes and and such. And then I started looking at how do they live? What do they eat? What are they hunting? And that helped me actually uh, translate the patterns to understand, okay, everybody who does breathing hole, seal hunting on ocean ice, have these tattoos. And then I started looking at the tools for breathing whole seal hunting, talking to hunters nowadays up in Nunavut in the north of of Greenland too. I went to museums. I was to see the tools uh, and and the development of the tools. And, And there I could so clearly see the pattern. So the story, there was like a full circle. Okay, this amulet is definitely for this. I can see it with my eye that it is a simplistic form of this part of the hunting tool. The, the facial tattoos and the reasons for getting the arm tattoos and the leg tattoos, et cetera, is in the mythology. So that's also where it becomes what people like to call like a, a, a sacred element. So that's how I've done it. That's how I'm still doing it. Um, And I I still, not so much anymore, but still I I find patterns now and then. And I'm like, oh, yay, I get so excited. And I just want to bring it back to the people from where they came. You know, that's the biggest thing for me to to let the, for us it is, there's only one place things should be put to rest and that's home. Where home is for each Inuk and with a view. You know, that's important to us. So if it is not the physical appearance, we send the spirits home. And I want to send the spirits home for each pattern. You know, I don't want them floating around in Germany and Holland and France and in basements in the States. And, you know, I want them home. And and some of these belong in northern Canada, some in, in, in the Bering Strait and some in Greenland. It's the most beautiful thing to bring it to the people who owns
0: them yeah yeah that's that sounds wonderful Would, could you tell us a little bit more about the mythology you mentioned about the role of of women and the patterns just there and and how you had to look a little bit at the mythology is that something that seemed to be a really strong element in the um history of tattoo and from your culture
2: absolutely it, it, it is 100 percent together you cannot separate them There's no reason to get Inuit tattoos if you don't have the spirituality. There's there's no way that the tattoos will do the protection that they will do and grant you the gifts that they can grant you if you don't have the spirituality or if none of your ancestors' spirits have had them. We consist of of very many spirits. This is something I, I talk about when we talk about DNA and genetics. I was recently in another podcast about epigenetics, like the trauma from generation to generation, etc. cetera. And uh, when I am asked who can have these tattoos, who can use them, who's the right users, who owns them? It's such a loaded question and, and a very, very difficult conversation because are we talking ethnicity? You know, it becomes kind of like, it's a little gross. And uh, ethnicity is being used uh, a lot within the revival things. And this is something I would really like to talk about too. But what Western science calls DNA and genetics, we call spirits. Uh, So you consist of all these spirits from your ancestors. And when you get the spirited patterns in your skin, the spirits meet each other and are made stronger it's given them power but if they are placed in skin that doesn't have this ancestry and and spirituality it would weaken them this is quite clear uh, explained and that gives me uh, another task because uh, ethnicity as such doesn't guarantee spirituality and uh, so can I put these patterns that are highly spirited on people who are Mormons or or Jehovah's Witnesses or Lutheran Christians, you know, uh, just because they have ethnicity. I don't think so. I, I would rather not. I would rather give them something else that that boosts their identity and their connection to their lands than I would, you know, uh, I don't want to weaken the patterns for the sake of ethnicity and and people's identity issues. You know, Um, I think it's not how we solve the identity issues either, you know. We don't solve them by wearing a t-shirt either. It has to have meaning. It has to have that purpose, the intention that lays in the tattooing. It, when, you, when you make them removed from the spirituality, removed from the ritual, uh, removed from the worldview, then they're just dots and lines, really. Mm-hmm.
1: So what's your process then? In, in in a comment, in an email to me, you said, that you weren't sure that it was time for an Inuit tattoo revival. And you, you just mentioned there that you have some conflicted feelings about indigenous tattoo revival. So I'm I'm curious, what are your feelings on indigenous tattoo revivals and, and what do you do? Like, I'm curious as to how you navigate it.
2: Oh, like with great difficulty. Um, there are several things in it. I can be a, a, a bit of a conservative person and, and a bit of a, maybe, uh, Ben sometimes calls me a fundamentalist, uh, but, but well-meant, of course. Uh, and I'm not a, a preaching kind of fundamentalist. <laughs> I will not make war, okay. Uh, but I believe so firmly in our spirit world. And I believe so firmly in our ancestors' designs and, and ways of of using these. Uh, I mean, the, the utility of the tattoos is so beautiful that diluting it into a question of identity, where, where they, they, they will always give you identity by default. So stopping there is just too bad. You know, it saddens me because there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of understanding of culture. There's a lot of cultural anchorage to get from the tattoos. If you take the time and listen or read for just more than five minutes and don't just go for the politicized uh, excitement and wokeness about Inuit tattoos or indigenous tattooing in general, I mean, I I have struggled with the politicizing of the tattoos from the outside where the Danish people are politicizing it. And and now I'm struggling with the politicizing from inside our own gates, you know, and uh, I think it's a huge disfavor. Uh, As far as I am concerned, there is no revival going on. There is a, uh, a a reinvention going on. There's a, a, a reconnection with new designs going on, and and the these tattoos are old. Eh? It's like the the little mask is is almost four thousand years old. The one from uh, the Dorset uh, area, and mm. so so that's the oldest imagery we have of of our tattoos and, and of Arctic people in general. It's a tattooed woman. This little thing, and. Uh, from her creation, that little masks creation, and we, we forward, you know, those four thousand years we know the tattoos have been existing. Um until five years ago. Then a revival started, or what they call a revival, started five, six, seven years ago. And in those five, six, seven years, the patterns have changed more than they have the previous 4000 years. And I find that highly problematic. And uh, because I go from from a a culture preservation point of view, you Mm. know, also, uh, if someone uh, in 50 years or 100 years wants to look into what is uh, Inuit tattooing, they're gonna go like, what the fuck happened? During this pandemic, you know, (laughs) what is going on? (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's just crazy how removed the Inuit tattooing has become. And it is just crazy what the standard is for the tattooing. Again, we're talking about people who have been colonized and who are still you know, under a lot of pressure in their existence. A lot of places in the territories, there's little to none medical uh, help to get, uh, yet uh, tattooing is performed by people who have no other qualification than ethnicity. Mm. You know, uh, That is an issue. And this is where my third culture steps in. I'm, I'm a tattooer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm like, guys, this is gross. You know, this is not how you tattoo. This is not how you do things. It's unethical. It is, it is dangerous. It is not bringing something good back to the communities. It is bringing danger back to the communities. And it is also telling our blonde, pale Inuit sisters and brothers that you have to have a certain look. Uh, There's a a hint of uh, exotification. And we have also, you know, uh, the research base is so low and, and is primarily based on the work of one contemporary anthropologist who interferes far too much in the cultures that he is researching. And this is something that I have been saying for years and years. Uh, This is dangerous, you guys. Why will you, as a colonized people, listen to another white man on how to do your culture? This is ridiculous, you know. So uh, I'm not the most popular among some people. I don't care. I mean, I, I live my truth, okay? But I just know that Tattooing is something that takes time to learn. And uh, I, I, for one, I I get my annual courses in in hygiene and safety. I've been doing this for 20 years. I still go to school, you know. It it is beyond me that people who have not learned tattooing for more than a weekend in Los Angeles suburbs somewhere uh, can go back to our communities and tattoo faces You know, I think I have tattooed for maybe eight years before I touched a face. Just the audacity alone. And that is just based on ethnicity. And I I can tell you guys, I know the listeners will not be able to see me. But for a lot of people, when they meet me, they're like, when is the Inuk showing up? You know, but this is actually what we look like after three hundred years of colonization and Which mixing with white people.
1: I have a husky. You can borrow him if you want.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I look good with huskies. <laughs> <laughs> he's got,
1: your, he's got your coloring. He's
2: yeah.
1: Any he, any he, and he's miserable in the Alabama heat, but I love him, so I'm not letting him go.
2: I had an Alaskan husky. I had to let him grow old in northern Norway. As soon as we got floor heating in this house, he was like, that's it, folks, I'm leaving.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned just before about the 4,000-year-old the mask you found. Yeah. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that and about what, I don't know, did that give you some, I guess, roots back into your cultural past?
2: yeah. You know, uh, it was actually kind of the same feeling when I finally connected with the mummies uh, from which are, have beautiful tattoos and beautiful clothing and everything. And um, it's that feeling of of kind of like home. Mm -hmm. Um, I think after like an entire youth of being told which of my two cultures that was to be preferred uh, the one that had a future, the one that uh, would give me jobs and, and I could get a house and I could, you know, uh, it, it was uh, be Danish, speak Danish, think Danish, look Danish, um, and, and you will be all right. That was kind of the message all the time. And, but all the time uh, while learning with great expertise like everybody who's bicultural that to, to just skate in and out of both cultures i i i started slowly as an adult to appreciate my greenlandic culture more and more and not just feel shame or like uh, I tan so darn quick and you know all these things you know I wish I was lighter I wish my hair was used to be very black and I wish that I spoke with less accent or you know but at the same time there was like a a cozy feeling of the Greenlandic it's grandma's house it's the the soup the food the nurturing the storytelling the 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 coziness you know and uh, and, and and tremendous love for my homeland uh, you guys have no idea how beautiful it is and i know now what a lucky person i was their children growing up in the street i live in the poor bastards you know i i had a whole island it was fantastic and uh, but <laughs> When I started reconnecting and when I saw the mask and, and when I felt the mask, I, when I really looked at the mask, I saw her first. And I was like, kind of looks like a raisin, you know. And uh, so I, it was hard to understand what are the tattoos, what are the lines, what have ring? I, does she have wrinkles? You know, it was hard to read her at first for me. I maybe have had some, some filters on or something. But suddenly I saw her. I really saw her. And I just like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know. And the same thing when I, I was in Nuuk, the capital of Greenland, and I, I saw the mummies for the second time in my life. I'd seen them before without feeling nothing, but these are really dried out people. It's kind of gross, you know. <laughs> but when I, when I saw them the, the second time, with many years in between, um, I, I was, of course, already busy with my work and I had been for a while and uh, I, I knew everything about the mummies. I've used up the books, literally. When I saw them laying there, you, they're in a separate room. You can choose not to go in there and there's a little baby and, and his mother and, and uh, two other women, three women in the exhibit, Um I, I just started crying. I was so emotional. I even get emotional just talking about it. I was filled with such a pride of these women being Greenlandic. They were not cool Canadian or super cool Alaskan. They were from Greenland and they were from my hood, if you will, you know. I was I was so proud because of a lifetime of always have Been told to choose the other side, not go Greenlandic. The same when I had my my facial tattoos. It was a a long discussion with my father, you know, and, and on why I wanted to do that. And but but that that pride in me just led to, you know, never letting go of my work. Really, I have had my my doubting moments for sure, but but I'm, I'm doing it now and I'm still doing it. I'm not giving up and I'm, I'm happy about the position I have now. I do not tattoo as much as people would like perhaps because I like the research better, but, um, and because I'm in such doubt on the revival and um, I don't want to be part of a, reinvention of Inuit tattooing, I want to tell everybody and their mother about real Inuit tattooing, you know. Mm. God, that went everywhere, huh?
1: No, that was good. I'm a little, <laughs> little spellbound here. I'm looking at Mike to see if he's got a question to help guide me out of the sort of reverie I'm having. I, I, I feel the same way. And I I just want to say thank you for sharing all that. I think it's, it's such an important thing To hear and to talk about and I mean we could talk to you all day I know that (laughs) all of us could Um, but I wanted to ask and you I read a a, an essay you wrote on Canadian art on ancestral threads and connecting oral traditions and stories to to the markings and I think like you said that immaterial that incorporeal or spiritual aspect is is so important in in healing um So I was wondering if you would feel comfortable sharing maybe one of these stories with us.
2: For sure. I mean, um, the way of of the Inuit you know, spirituality uh, is, is you're very quiet about it. You know, there are things I would never share and there are things that I can share because they've already been shared so widely and uh, so I, I I can tell you the two main stories that are important for tattooing and that are connected to tattooing and, and why these uh, spirits are so incredibly important to us even today uh, that people will name their children still today after these spirits, you know. Uh, what you first have to understand about the religion is that we don't have different gods and some of the gods are representing the good or the bad you know everybody has both in them the duality is incredibly important in the inuit worldview everything comes in two which means it has and it has the partner and the partner is like also the opposite so if you imagine the man and the woman the same but opposites. They can't be without each other and they can't do the same things, but they can't survive without each other, you know. It's So there's like that duality between uh, light and darkness, which is as, as I started with telling is so polarized in the Arctic, you know, the light summers and the dark winters. Uh, where i come from which is uh, not even the highest arctic but it's high arctic Uh, the sun does not even go above the horizon for almost eight weeks and uh so so it's just darkness but it's the opposite in the summer of course it doesn't go anywhere it's just light 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 you go out of the house at four in the morning wearing sunglasses you know and uh so so the light and the dark, the man and the woman, the human and the animals, the land and the ocean, the universes, all five of them. And then we have like the spirit world and the human world. And there is a requiring of balance between all of these at all times. And that's where all the taboos and all the rights come in. And uh, I have counted... Uh, more than 500 taboos that we have to follow and a lot of them are surrounding death and the reason why they surround death is because we're from the arctic we cannot grow food we cannot harvest food we can only kill food we are solely hunters you know Uh, the, the little gathering we do does not get us through the winter at all. Uh, Even today, you have families uh, in in the capital that are 70% uh, based on hunting, you know, it's such a big part of our culture. And everything we do in daily life is to keep this balance. And that is where the oral tradition comes in because it tells you what to do. It tells you what goes wrong if you don't do it and it tells you how to fix it. And then we have the spirits that are made into humans so that we little humans can understand what they're all about. Of course, if the spirit says to she's the mother of the sea. If we just call her the ocean spirit, it becomes like this big thing, the temper of the ocean, the quiet of the ocean, the the animals of the ocean. If that is just some mystic thing, we don't understand it. But when she's a big old woman who's angry when we don't follow the taboos, then we understand, you know. So Sesuma Amna, all our tattoos from the arms, on the chest and on our legs are all for her and uh, they are hunting amulets. I'm talking about Central and Eastern Inuit now. And these are the tattoos that people understand as Inuit tattooing. And these are also the tattoo patterns that are now being like Pan-Inuit defied in the so-called revival. Uh, But there are many more patterns that come from outside these tribes. So all the hunting amulets of these tribes are for Sessuma Omna. Uh, and the story is how she became Sessuma Omna. Uh, it's again, like the tattoos, it's a language with many dialects. And this, uh, this myth goes way back So it is a Greenlandic version, a North Greenlandic version, an East Greenlandic version. In Canada, they have 10 versions. In Alaska, they have versions. But the the version for West Greenland, where I come from, she was a a little girl with no parents. Her name was Nivika. Uh, Nivika comes from the the name girl. Um, Nivika uh, was living with a, a great hunter. And and his women who were, you know, uh, they used the girl to help with food, uh, preparing food and and the animals. And uh, so she was working for a living with these people and living by their mercy in their home. And... uh, you go from uh, winter camp to summer camp somewhere in spring. Uh, the spring in Greenland is approximately three hours. So uh, at some point uh, between the the two seasons, you, you go out to the to the summer uh, camps uh, for summer hunting. and uh, on the way out there, Uh, Nivika was in front in the Umiak, the women's boat. Uh, All the women carry the luggage in a big skin boat, and the men uh, follow in the kayak, the kayaks. Um, But the hunter, he decided to be in the Umiak, which was unusual. And at some point, outside a big mountain filled with birds that is called Nayersuit. This is a location that exists, you know, Nayersuit down in in South Greenland. he, he yells stop and he's so annoyed with this child. His his temper is terrible. So he just jumps, you know, down to the front of the boat, pulls her out by the hair and throws her in the water. And he throws her lamp, the pushup which is the, the woman's tool to keep the house warm and cooking and giving light. Uh, the kushluk is very important for us and also a part of our tattoo pattern base. Um, he throws her lamp and her dog. And uh, she's like trying to hold on to, to dear life and, and try to hold on to the railing of the Umayakh. And he cuts her fingers off. And so she can't hold on. And, and then he yells to the women, go. And they start rowing. They're so afraid of him. And uh, she turns to the four directions and greets them. And she turns to the land which we call Nuna and she greets the Nuna and then she lets herself sink to the sea floor where she picks up her lamp and her dog and then she walks out to from the point where you can see all the directions and all the traffic that goes from the summer camps and she can see the people, she can see the world and that's where she chooses to live she lifts her arms, and she calls all the sea mammals in, and they live under her lamp. Her mood is about survival, because if she's grumpy and cranky, she will withhold all the animals. And our second story about Navika that turns into Sessuma the spirit of the ocean, uh, is... Um, after taboo breaking and how the Angakop the, the shaman has to travel down and comb her hair and put it up in the, in the top knot that we have in Greenland. Uh, she can't do it because she has no fingers. Mm. The finger cutting is our tattoo patterns on the fingers. Mm. We, we, we literally call, uh, make lines on the fingers where her fingers were cut off. Um, the other story uh, is about the sky spirits, and they are just as important to us as Sesuma Aungna is. For other reasons, they are there for reproduction. So our facial tattoos are connected to the sky spirits. And um, it's a young woman, her name is Melina, and she lives in a longhouse with her family and, and all of the tribe. And uh, at night after dark, when the lamps have been put out, a young man visits her and, and rapes her. And this happens uh, two times. And she decides, and always when there are visitors, she doesn't know is it a visitor or is it, is it a someone from the tribe. So she decides to blacken her finger uh, with soot. Soot is important for tattooing, by the way. And uh, she waits for him and he rapes her again and she touches the shoulder with, with her suited finger. And the next uh, moment there is light, she yells out in the house, there's someone in the house with a suited shoulder. And she starts looking and she sees her brother and she's filled with such shame course, this myth is also telling us that incest is bad. But she cuts off her right breast with her ulu, which is the woman's knife. And she throws it at her brother and yells, if you desire me so much, then eat me. And then she takes burning moss from the kushla, the lamp, from her lamp, and she runs outside the house and runs into the sky and turns into the sun. He follows her and he takes uh, burning moss on his ice scraper which has like a crested shape and he runs outside with the burning moss jumps into the sky following his sister but he's so strong and his leap is so strong that the fire goes out and creates all the stars and he is just glowing. He's not a fire. He turns into the moon. His name is Aningar. Enigar is still following his sister on the moon and he's very, very filled with male desire and sexual power. So he is in charge of the reproduction of women and animals. He makes the women bleed. The good side of him, because he's kind of aggressive you know the good side of him is that he pulls back the ocean when it's not closed by the lid. he will pull back the ocean once a day so we can feed on delicious things like clams and seaweed and not just eat meat all the time so he's also kind um, her melina never gets angry when the two stars on the sky, the twins, they stand up all winter. And then around Christmas, they lay down, meaning they're pulling the sun back up. Like they have her in a, in a rope and they pull her up. So they're leaning more and more over. And that's when the light returns, you know, after Christmas, the light begins to come back. And, and in January somewhere, she will actually get above the horizon. And uh, no matter how many taboos are broken, no matter how bad and forgetful the little people have been, Melina comes back Mm -hmm. and with Melina comes spring and all the animals start breeding and the flowers and the berries and the warmth and the mosquitoes and everything happens again. So Melina, she is, we have no taboos around her. We have nothing around Melina except that we want to look like her with her frown because she has been raped. We want to be desirable for her brother and so we can have babies and reproduce. But Melina herself is just love. So we don't need to do anything for her. Our religion is super fear-based. So we only only do stuff for the angry people or the angry spirits, you know. If you read otherwise about her, it's wrong. She's a good one and we love her very much.
1: Thank you for sharing.
0: So much.
1: I think we're in a a trance here. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Maya, can we have you back on to tell us more stories? I love this so much. (laughs) Of course. I'm we,
0: have,
2: uh, we have two thousand of them, Chris. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: <laughs> this is uh, this is what we're 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 missing, right? Is this context? And it, two thousand stories is probably dropped in the bucket.
2: Yeah, I mean, and this is what this is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. What you are feeling a little glimpse of now. Imagine feeling that magnified by having the tattoos in the skin of your ancestors. There is a healing in there. Mm-hmm. There is a magic to it. And that's why, you know, I I, I could give them to you, Chris. But what would you get other than a souvenir from this uh, Inuk girl you met? You know, it's it's uh, it is something that is so deeply rooted in us and in our because nobody will will go outside and not comment on Melina or comment on up No one will not be grateful when they eat their ocean food. You know. Greenlandic people or Inuit anywhere, every time we eat MedDeck, which is the finest thing we can get from the ocean, it tastes the same every time you guys, but every time we're like, goodness me, this MedDeck is just incredible, because It has spirit and and, and we will have to make sure that it is pleased when we eat it and, and, and will, you know, we believe in in spiritual reincarnation so so this is this magnificent animal and I would rather not say which animal it is because people go nuts you know but uh, (laughs) but when we we eat it it is with such great joy and appreciation and and with that we make sure that it will reincarnate and come back and give itself to us again you know this is the whole idea of the hunting balance
1: well, maybe I could get a European tattoo from you at the old electric style, and 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 we and, and have my souvenir anyway. But um, I probably sure. would, I probably wouldn't ask that. I would have you tell me stories. And um, um, uh, Mike and Becky, do you have any last questions? Before we've we've kept Maya for almost two hours now. This is a record. I
0: don't, I don't. I know. It's just I've I've just really enjoyed listening to you. I've I've been trying to write a lecture today about um about Tatooine and and I just I was so lost with it and this has just kind of helped put everything back into perspective.
2: <laughs> good. <laughs> so I'm so you, happy. <laughs> That's
1: good. So your you have your Facebook page, um, is there Anything you'd like to tell listeners about how to get a hold of you or if you want to be gotten a hold of or anything like that, we can list it in show notes and make sure we keep this bit at the end.
2: Well, yeah, I some people try to follow me on Instagram, but my Instagram is is not much else than stupid selfies of me uh, because (laughs) I found out that uh, you know every time I posted tattoos there I was reaching everybody else but Inuit Mm -hmm. and uh, everybody are are, are welcome to follow my Facebook page as long as they are aware that I'm talking to Inuit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people comment like I'm talking to them and I'm like what business <laughs> isn't of yours, dude? You know. <laughs> I'm talking to my people here. It's yeah. called Inuit Tattoo Traditions is for Inuit. And but but still, it can be a learning experience on on how I think and how I work, and and uh, and, and sometimes I, I share the stories not only uh, of the of the uh, the stories from Greenland and and from the Arctic, uh, but also the stories of the people that I encounter and that I meet, like uh, when I have. Uh, made tattoos with great healing properties um for people that need help with something uh, or you know i i I don't tell all the identity stories because i think that's super boring but uh, i i Don't mind sharing the stories of of, uh, people who actually get tattooed and will use the power of the tattoos, what they're meant for, you know, as as and I ask them, of course. Um, But it's also giving insights to how I do my research, how I think. And I'm not giving anything away. Uh, People have to be curious and actually do the reading. And I Mm -hmm. might tell people, like... uh, Google it or uh, immerse yourself or whatever it takes, you know. Um, I've nice. done, th- yeah, I mean, I'm, it, I'm not gift wrapping my culture and giving and, and force feeding <laughs> it to people, but uh, I, I will definitely uh, share the elements that are okay to share according to our ways.
1: Well, thank you for sharing with us.
0: Yes. Thank
2: you, thank you very you. much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's
1: been a pleasure, truly.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
1: Take care, everyone. Bye, everyone.
2: Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Oh, my gosh. I lost the button. There it is.
0: Thanks for listening to Inking of Immunity. You can find us on Twitter at inking underscore immunity and on Instagram at inking dot of dot immunity. The hosts of the show are Chris Lynn, Becky Owens, and Mike Smetana. The team that makes these episodes possible is Patricia Arnett, Julia Sponholtz, and me, Keri Yancey. See you next time.